we are continuing a series that we've been in that we're calling our Christmas Playlist. And in this series, we have been looking at the songs that we encounter in Scripture around the birth of Jesus, Uh, particularly the songs that we come to in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke's biography of Jesus. In Luke's kind of early writing, as he's talking about the birth of Jesus, we regularly see people breaking into song. It's kind of like the ancient version of La La Land. I mean, it's just everywhere, right? People kind of hear about Jesus, and they're just breaking out and singing. It's a little musical. Um, It's pretty remarkable. So we're looking at these songs and asking the question of, what exactly can we learn about who God is and what God's like and what God is doing in Jesus and what that means for us as we explore these songs together? Now, speaking of songs, before we move on, I did want to take a moment. Andrew had mentioned it before, but we just wanted to acknowledge the bang-up job that all of the kids and the volunteers did with Hark last night. Uh, If you weren't there, yeah, yeah, you can clap. Again, I would, here, I'll air clap. If you weren't here, the cuteness was just too much. Like, you might have felt it when you walked in this morning. Maybe you walked into the building and you're like, ah, it feels, I don't know, adorable in here. And that would be why. It was just, it was left over from last night. Um, But it was fantastic. But what you might not have seen, even if you saw it last night, is the the people who put in lots and lots and lots and lots of time uh, coming in early on Sunday mornings, coming in throughout the week to kind of set up the staging, um, building the the manger. Oh, we don't have... Building the manger. Uh, There there was just a lot that went into this. And I just wanted to acknowledge some of those uh, people who who put so much time and energy into it. Carmen Carpenter was our, uh, I don't know, director... uh, general overlord. Um, she handled, handled, you know, she kind of had the bird's eye view. And then Emily Hershey worked very closely with her. Laura Burkholder um, was a key player in that as well, uh, as was Sean Batito, who handled a, lo- handled a lot of our, our sound and lighting. And then, of course, Aiden Krauss, who built the manger, which was pretty awesome. Uh, it's around here somewhere. We'll pull it out eventually, but it was great. Um, and then countless other adults who just kind of showed up and did what they needed to do it was your, your willingness to give of your time and energy that made that a really special evening. So thank you so much for all that you did. Uh, thanks for all the time and love and energy you put into that. It was great. All right, yeah, please, clap again. It, it was one of those things, like, I literally did nothing. In fact, anything I did was probably unhelpful. Um, so it was really fun. You know, it's fun to kind of, once in a while, I, like, even showed up late last night. And yeah, so it was, it was just fun. I mean, so many people pitched in. It was so great. Um, okay, so anyway, this week, back to the Christmas playlist. We are uh, on What Child Is This? So we're using a, a Christmas carol to kind of form the, the thematic framework for each of these talks. And so you can see, we, if you've been with us, we did O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Mary, Did You Know? And now we're on What Child Is, is This? And for this song, we're not particularly, you know, we're not breaking down the song itself. But the song kind of relates to the topic that we're exploring as we look at the song that we find in Scripture. Because this week, we're looking at the story of, of Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist. And there was a specific role that John played as a child. His, his role was to essentially tell us something about the identity of this baby that was being born to Mary. He, he was to function as a little bit of a, a signpost, pointing away from himself and choose someone else. And the reason 
that I chose the song What Child Is This is because if, if you're familiar with the lyrics, this song is all about the identity of the baby born to Mary. I, I'll read to you a little bit. Again, you may be familiar. This was a, a song that was composed by William Chatterton Dix in 1865, and it was set to an English folk song, Green Sleeves. And the first verse says, What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthem sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. This song is all about pointing to the identity of this baby born to this obscure, insignificant couple in this obscure, insignificant place. That there's something world-altering about this baby born to a young girl. It's also a great song for teaching children antiquated words like laud. That was, the, that was the first time I ever experienced it. As a child, I was like, what? Are they trying to say loud? Is it misspelled? What is it? So, well, there you go. Parents, you can talk to your kids about that. Or if you're personally not sure what that, you can Google it. Um, <clears throat> oh, <coughs> excuse me. On to uh, Zechariah. So Zechariah, uh, he, was, he was a priest. He was married to Elizabeth, who happened to be Mary's cousin. And Luke gives us a little bit of, a, kind of an insight into what these people are like. He tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth, this is found in Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 6 to 7. He says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So here we are, we, we have this, this righteous couple. And Luke tells us they're not just self-righteous, it's not just that they think they're righteous, and it's not simply that there's kind of a community consensus that they're righteous, it's that they're righteous in God's eyes. And so we can assume that is an accurate description of them. They're righteous people. They are in right relationship with God and with others. They're the kind of people you want to be around, the kind of people you want to be, the kind of people that you would imagine God likes and blesses if that's how God works. And so immediately there's a tension that we encounter because Luke says they don't have any children. And, and it's not a choice that they've made. It's not a life choice where they're like, yeah, we don't think that we're going to choose to have children. It's quite the opposite. They, they have wanted to have children and have been unable to. They've been barren. Which in this culture, that was understood as basically God's discipline or punishment. That you had somehow been disobedient or you'd sinned, and so God was punishing you by withholding children. Because children were considered a blessing from God. And so if, if you weren't being blessed with children, well, you must have been cursed without children. right? That this was God's way of punishing you. Now, Luke doesn't attempt to give an explanation as to, to why they were childish, childless, not childish, childless, that's different. Um, but he does say, he makes it clear it wasn't a result of something they did. If they were righteous before God, then this wasn't a punishment. It just was what it was. It was frustrating, it was heartbreaking, but it wasn't punishment. And a lot of us, we still think of God in these karmic terms, right? That if, if, 
If we do it right, if we live life well, God will give us what we want. It should all work out for us. And it, if we don't, well, then we get what we deserve. Bad things happen to us. And, and that can work out really well when it's a judgment that we're making on other people, right? It's easy to, when we see bad things happen to other people to just imagine in our head that, well, it's because of a series of choices they must have made, and uh, that's just kind of the way the universe works. Uh, until it happens to you. And you realize, well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe the world doesn't quite function that way. Maybe God doesn't simply bless us when we do good and punish us when we do evil. Maybe that's not who God is. This is not the God of Luke's gospel. This is not the God that we see in these pages. Somehow, and Luke doesn't bother to explain, those whom God is pleased with are still experiencing great pain. And he leaves us in that tension. But this also points to why they needed a Messiah. Why they needed a Savior. Someone to rescue them from their misconstrued, distorted ideas of what God was like. From their sense that this is how the universe works. I have to be good enough I have to work hard enough. I have to jump through the religious hoops. They needed rescued from that perspective. They needed to see clearly what they were unable to see. So back to Zechariah's story, he had been given this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So as a priest, they, they would uh, draw lots to see each year wh- who would be able to go in. One person could go in and, and serve in the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence um, was. And, and so they would draw lots, and, and it was kind of like, this, this was a big deal for you to get chosen. And so he was chosen. And so Zechariah had, had won the like religious nerd lottery, right? So he, he gets to go and serve in the Holy of Holies, to be in the presence of God. And, and as he's serving in this place, uh, an angel appears to him and makes an announcement. It tells Zechariah that, that he's going to have a son. It tells him to name him John. And it says, he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. You're not just going to have a son. You're going to have a specific, a, a, some of the specific task, a, a role. His role is to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. Now, Luke has told us that, that Zechariah and, uh, and Elizabeth are old. They're well past childbearing years. We don't know exactly how old, but old enough that they've kind of just, you know, that's done. We're, we're beyond that. We're kind of hoping for different things. This is not a part of our life anymore. And so when the angel says, you guys are going to have a baby, Zechariah is understandably a little eh, skeptical, right? So he's like, I don't know about that. And the angel says, fine. Because of that, you won't be able to speak throughout the, rem- the, the pregnancy of your wife. For the nine months that she bears the baby, that she carries the baby, you, you won't be able to speak. You'll be mute. And so Zechariah kind of emerges out of this, the temple, out of serving, and he can't speak, right? So he's, he's seen an angel, and so he probably looks a little shaken, right? Like he just has this incredible encounter. He can't speak, 
and now his old wife is pregnant. It's kind of crazy, right? And so he goes through this nine months of not being able to speak, not being able to, to kind of articulate what he's seen. I assume he's like learning really well how to draw angels, right? As he tells the story again and again. It was like this. But he can't, he can't speak. He can only wait for the baby to come. And when the baby's born, they all assume like we're going to name Zechariah after his father. And Zechariah gets a writing tablet and writes, no, you're going to call him John. And as soon as he does this, he's able to speak. And the first thing he says is not, holy cow! That was a long time to not be able to speak, right? It was, he starts worshiping. He starts singing. But it's not even singing about his son, which is a pretty cool thing, right? Like here he's been able to conceive a child with his wife after their past years and an angel appeared. Like, that's really cool. He's not even singing about that. He's singing about Jesus, about the one who's coming. Because ultimately this is all pointing towards him. So we're going to read that song together. This is found in Luke chapter 1. It begins in verse 67. I'm sorry, 68 is when the actual song begins. Zechariah sings, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised, through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. It's quite a song. This song that, in response to his son's birth, anticipates the coming of the one, the, the light of heaven, who gives light to those who, sits in, who sit in darkness, a light that guides us to the path of peace. His song points to the very nature of the one who's coming, and his nature is light. Now, this isn't the only place where Jesus is mentioned as, as light. In fact, it's kind of a theme throughout Jesus' teachings, throughout the, the New Testament. In John's biography of Jesus, John's gospel, he doesn't really have a birth story, per se. He doesn't do like the shepherds and the, the wise men and the manger and all that. He does kind of a little bit more of a, kind of a philosophical riff on Jesus as the creator of all things and the word being made flesh. And it's kind of, it's, it's incredible. And as he talks about what it means that the one who created all things, who was the source of all things, is now coming in the flesh, he says this in John chapter 1, verse 9. He says, The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The light, the true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. Now, why is that metaphor important? Why, why does that matter? Why is it a consistent theme that comes up again and again? Well, 
if you, ref- if you think about light, I must say if you reflect on light, which seems like a good way to say it, reflect on light. Um, if you think about light, any, think about your third grade science class or whatever science class you learned about light and how light interacts with your, your eyes and enables you to see, right? Our, our ability to see is about the light reflecting off of an object that travels through our cornea. It's the presence of light with an object that enables us to understand what exactly it is that's in front of us. That's why in the dark, when you see things, you don't quite see them right because there's not enough light to form them in your brain as it passes through your eye. And I know I'm probably messing up a ton of those things, but roughly that's what happens, right? Light is critical for us to be able to see clearly, to understand what it is that we're dealing with. We need light. And we know this experientially, even if we can't articulate it kind of scientifically, right? Like, you know this at night when you're laying in bed and suddenly you hear a thud. Something falls, like downstairs somewhere. And immediately your thought is, there is a killer clown in my living room, right? You know you do. You know you do, right? And so in your head... And depending on how old you are, it depends on the version of the killer clown, right? Is it the current killer clown from it, or is it the old school? Either one is terrifying, but you're just sitting there going, Which, who, okay, what's going on? And so when you go to assess the situation, uh, I'm assuming you go to assess it and don't just uh, hide under your covers, but maybe, you maybe you hide under your covers, but if you go to assess the situation, what's the first thing that you do? You turn on the light, right? Because we all know, it's a, it's a well-documented fact, that killer clowns are terrified of light. And it allows us to actually see what happened, right? And so we get to go down, turn on the light, and go, oh, is it really a psychotic circus person, or is it my cat? And we generally go, oh, it's the cat. Um... Or, you know, in my case, the kids or something, like some completely kind of mundane thing that happened. But until I turned the light on, I, I couldn't see. I didn't know what was going on. We know intuitively that light enables us to see things clearly. It helps us to understand. Without it, we don't know what's going on. But it's not just what we see. It's also what light does to us. It's fascinating. If you read anything about what people have learned about the effects of natural light on us as people, light isn't just something that helps us to see. It's something that actually changes us as people. It impacts our physiology. This is why at certain times of year, of course, you know, some of you know all too well, when during this time of year when the daylight hours are relatively small and there's a lot of darkness, there's there's a tendency for many people to kind of, their physiology gets a little out of whack, and maybe, maybe they get depressed easier this time of year. You know, seasonal affective disorder, I believe is the word for it. This sense of, of kind of looming kind of depression and dread and, and sadness because of the lack of natural lighting. Simply l- losing natural light makes us sleepy or tired. The presence of natural lighting helps us to remember things better. Light doesn't just help us to see, it changes who we are. It impacts us. Light has a transformative element to it. We were made to need light. 
both so that we could see and understand, but also so that we can be fully who we are meant to be. Zechariah points us to Jesus as the morning light from heaven who's breaking upon us, those of us who sit in darkness. Jesus comes as the light that we need, both so that we can see and also so that we can become a different kind of people now and forever. The light changes us so that we know what it means to be human, what it means to be fully alive in relationship with God and others, and so that we can see clearly to know how that impacts our day-to-day lives. My mom was with us visiting a couple of weeks ago around Thanksgiving, and my mom's not too old. She's, she's like 72, um, but for various reasons, she, she, hasn't, she doesn't walk really well. She, she struggles a little bit with walking. And we were out driving around one day, and uh, my mom, she's just started wearing sunglasses regularly because, uh, you know, her doctor was talking to her about how, um, you know, she was getting some headaches, and, and maybe it was because of some of the, the bright light, and so she was starting to wear sunglasses. And so we were out driving around somewhere, and we got home, and we walked in the house. And when she stays with us, she stays in our guest room, which is upstairs on the second floor. And so she has to do steps, which isn't ideal, but she does them well. Well, we walked in, and she had her sunglasses on, and she just thought, I'm going to just keep them on. I'm going to real quick run up to my room, and then I don't know what we're going to do next. And so I went into the kitchen, and as I'm in the kitchen, I hear a loud thud. And I know, because it's the middle of the day, that it's not a killer clown, because they don't come out in the day. Um, and so I'm like, what just happened? Right? So I, I run around the corner, run up, and I'm like, Mom, what, what? and she's laying sprawled out on the floor. And so I run up the steps, and, and she's, she's fine. You know, she's just a little bruised, kind of shaken, embarrassed. And I was like, well, what happened, Mom? She said, well, I, I didn't take my sunglasses off. You know, I, I, I thought I'd just keep them on. And, and so as I was walking up the steps, I, I just didn't see that last step. I kind of had to guess because it was really dark. And because I had to guess, I, I missed that last one, and so I tripped. And this is... This is why we need the light, because this is what darkness does. It, it, it deceives us. It, it affects the way that we see so that we, we can't get to where we need to go. We trip up. We fall. We get injured. We injure others because we don't know where we're going. We experience this in lots of different ways, in, in really dreadful ways and in really kind of normal, mundane, confusing ways. For some of us, we experience the darkness as people that we know and love are are hurting. They're in pain. Or maybe they're hurting us and causing us pain. And we just don't know what to do. Or maybe we're wrestling with, with past hurts. You know, Chris talked about this sense of like self-hatred, self-loathing. Maybe we've had experiences in the past that have shaped us in a particular way that we just can't figure out how to get beyond. Or for some of us, the darkness is just the confusing mess that is life. What choices we ought to make when we 
No one gave us a handbook for this. And so maybe it's um, what to do with that really difficult relationship, that family member who you love, but you can't stand all at the same time. And you're trying to figure out what does it look like to, to have some kind of relationship with this person? Or should I even have a relationship with this person? Or maybe it's that you're curious spiritually, but you don't, everything kind of blurs together and and you're not quite sure what direction to go. Or perhaps you have someone in your life who feels like an enemy, feels like they're out to get you, like they just want to take you down. There are all sorts of things in our lives that feel dark. Things that that make it difficult for us to see what the next step should be or where we ought to go from here, how we ought to live, what choices we ought to make. And Zechariah tells us that it's into this darkness that the light comes. It's into this lack of clarity that the light reveals what is true. Again, in in John's Gospel, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus describes himself in this way. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus as light transforms us and shows us the way to move forward, the way to live fully human as people who reflect the image of God in the world. Jesus as light enables us to live in his way and shows us what that way is. But then there's another aspect of this this light imagery that Jesus himself riffs on. We find this in different places, but one is in Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus is teaching his disciples, his followers, and he says, you are the light of the world. Well, that's interesting, right? So Jesus is the light of the world. But then Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And he is the light of the world. How does that work? This is why I think candles serve as such a great metaphor for what it is that God is doing in Jesus. Because when you take a candle and you light it, it's significant, right? Like small light. But when you light another candle with that light, it doesn't reduce the light from that candle. It simply increases the amount of light in the room. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. And what happens is this light that had a single source now lights up the entire room. And this is what Jesus is is calling his followers to. This transformation in which his light changes us and enables us to be people who live as lights in the world. So that the light isn't simply kind of confined to this small place, but that as we encounter the light of Christ and are transformed by it, we go out as people who offer that light to the world, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our communities. And as we do the light spreads and the darkness retreats. Because remember, darkness isn't a thing. Darkness is the absence of a thing. 
Darkness is the absence of light. And so the more the light spreads, the less the darkness has a hold on us and on the world. This is how God brings about his plans and purposes in the world. By sending the light in Christ. And by transforming those of us who come to Christ to be bearers of that light into the world. This is the, the good news that John points us to. The hope that Jesus brings. The light that transforms us and that we're invited to take into the world. So a couple of questions as we kind of bring things to a close this morning to think about. And the first one would simply be this. Have you opened yourself to the light of Christ? Have you, have you opened your life to the transforming work of Christ in you? The message that we find in Jesus, and, and this is where I, you know, I, I love, again, what Chris said. And we didn't plan this. I didn't tell him what to say. Um, but he's talked about this idea of he felt like he, he was never good enough. And then the more he learned from Jesus, the more he realized being good enough wasn't the point. That it's not about achieving light status, right? It's not about kind of working your way up to um, you know, the ranking of light. It's about recognizing that you need light in your life. You need the light of Christ in your life and accepting that gift so that you can be transformed. Have you opened your life to the light of Christ? And then secondly, are you letting your light shine? I know, I know. Uh, for those of you who grew up in church or have some kind of churchy background, you're, you're hearing that this little light of mine, right? Like that's going in your head, right? If not now, it's because I said it. It will. You're welcome. Um, so earlier we talked about how John said that or, I'm sorry, Jesus in John says that he's the light of the world. If we follow him, we don't have to walk in darkness because we'll have the light that leads to life. So it's in following Jesus that we receive the light and then we're enabled to, to live in the light. But it's not just for us and our personal consumption. It's as a gift to the world. The light that we receive, the, transform, the transformative work that Christ does in us is not just for my benefit but for the benefit of the world. Again, Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When we live lives in the way of Jesus, when we follow Jesus in his light, it shapes the way that we interact with the world. It changes how we see the, the meaning and purpose of life. And we begin to engage from a different perspective. If, if God is light, then how we live matters. The choices we make in the midst of the darkness are pointing back to a God who gives himself in love so that we can find hope. And we live in that hope in the world in a way that points people back to God. 
you know, a number of years ago, back in the 90s, I guess, um, there was this kind of popular thing in, um, you know, like Christian teenage circles. For those of you who weren't there, you, you may have seen these. There were these bracelets um, that had WWJD on them, right? Like, what would Jesus do is what it stood for. And it's, it's a little hokey, a little cheesy, um, but it's, it's not all wrong. That part of what the, the invitation is for us as people who are called to live in the light is to look at the person of Jesus and say, how does my life reflect the character that I find in Jesus? How is my life reflecting who I see Jesus to be in the world? How does that impact the choices that I make? And so, for example, recently, um, it might surprise you to know that I am not an expert parenter. Uh, I have, on occasion, made decisions that I think were bad. Uh, I didn't think so in the moment. In retrospect, I'm like, that, yeah, that wasn't great. And so recently, I've been doing a lot of thinking about like, my parenting. And what does that look like? And as I've been thinking about that, and as I've been thinking about this passage, I, I've been asking myself the question, like, well, what does it look like to parent in a way that reflects the nature of Jesus? And that's actually an incredibly troubling question. Because the thing it keeps taking me to is this passage in Luke 15 where God is described as this really gracious and generous God whose kids make decisions that break his heart. And he continues to extend himself in love toward them. And I'm like, that is not what the parenting books told me. But what does it mean for me to learn from Jesus, to be a student of Jesus as I look at my parenting? What does it mean for us as we're thinking about how to steward our finances, how to use our our finances to be students of Jesus? When we read Jesus who talks about, why are you worried about the clothes you're going to wear, the food you're going to eat? God takes care of the birds. You're worth more than many sparrows to God. If that's true, if, if that's really what Jesus teaches, then how does that affect how I think about my money and what I spend my money on? What do I do about the, the jerk at the office or the jerk at my dinner table over Christmas when Jesus says, love your enemies? Do good to those who hurt you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. How does that inform the way in which I engage with people who otherwise I want to punch in the face? What do I do with that? This is what it means for us to to walk in the light. It's to regularly and consistently bring our lives before the one who is the light and say, okay, so what do I do? Not because I have to earn God's favor. That's been given to me. But because I want to live in what's true. I want to see the world rightly. I don't want to walk around stumbling in the dark, knocking things over, thinking my cat's a killer clown. I want to understand and live well for my sake and for the sake of the world. And the way that 
Zechariah and Luke and Jesus himself invite us to do that, is to continually put ourselves under the, under the life and teachings of Jesus and say, okay, what does this mean for me in this situation? And it's not always obvious. Sometimes it's challenging. That's why we need each other. That's why we need each other to work through this stuff and figure out, because Jesus doesn't go, okay, for those of you who are parenting teenagers, here's your section of Mark. I wish that would be uber helpful, but it's not there. But what he does do is say, here's a community of people who together is trying to figure this out. And I'm going to be present with you along the way, and it's learning together What does it mean to walk in the light? This is how the light is defeated. Or, not the light. This is how the darkness is defeated. As we learn to to live, to walk in the light together. This is why I get so excited with things like the, you know, there's a group of people going to Opportunity House this afternoon to to serve there. You know, coming up on December 31st, we're going to have a gathering here after our worship gathering where anybody who's interested can just come together and talk about what is, what is our outreach in the community going to look like in 2018? Because these are the places where we become fire starters, right? We, become, we get to, to dream and imagine what it looks like to bring light in new ways in our community, to reflect the nature and character of God in the world around us. To do our part in joining God's work of bringing light into the world. I'm going to end with a quote from a song. This is uh, from a new song from you too, which will not surprise. See, people giggle. It's legit. Like, if you're new, I like you too. So I used to. Um, so this song is called "The Blackout," and the the words of the chorus are this: "When the lights go out." And you throw yourself about in the darkness where you learn to see. When the lights go out, don't you ever doubt the light that we can really be. And this is part of the invitation of Christmas. This is the invitation of Christmas. To open our lives to the light of Christ and to allow that light to transform us and empower us and send us into the world as lights. As people who live out the life and character of Jesus. And I think it's fitting then that we close this morning with communion. Because communion is the, the practice that shines the light brightest on the nature of our creator. Because in communion, what we do is we take a little bread and a little juice to remember the body and blood of Christ. Because it's in Jesus' crucifixion, in his death, that we see most clearly what God is like. That when God chooses to beat back the darkness, he doesn't do it by raising up a mighty army. He does it by giving his life in love for those he wants to rescue. This is who God is. This is the light that shows us how we are to live. So that when we think, what do I do next? The first thing we should think about is, what does it look like to live out God's self-giving love in this situation? How does the cross inform the choice that I'm making right now? This is what communion invites us to reflect on. It points us not just to the manger, but beyond the manger, to the cross.
And so as we take communion together, um, I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. What we'll do is uh, Dave's going to come up and, and play a song, and we'll just stand together, and we'll move around the back of the room, come up the front, take the bread and the juice. There's some gluten-free bread here if, if you're gluten-free, and take it back to your seat, and whenever you're ready, you can, you can take it. If you are uncomfortable with this for any reason, um, you are welcome to just hang out in your seat and in, enjoy the music. Let me pray for us as we move into our time of communion. Father, thank you uh, for sending the light in Jesus. And for not just transforming us by your light, but for empowering us to live as lights in the world. Would you help us to be inspired by the cross to live in self-giving love in everything that we do? Would our good deeds that are reflecting the good and loving character of Christ, would they point people back to you? And would they increasingly beat back the darkness and bring light to all those who are longing to receive it? And it's in Jesus' name, the light of the world, that we pray.